a lot of doctors do amazing things, right? They work miracles, they save lives, but there's a lot of doctors, unfortunately, who have lost their passion for what they, they do. Jaded, yeah. They don't study anymore. They they stop studying and keeping up to date with latest breakthroughs. And these are the people who people are going to for advice on actually being healthy, which means not getting chronically sick, preventing disease, or you know, reversing chronic illness like diabetes and heart disease and all this, which are all diseases of lifestyle. And if they go into a doctor who's unhealthier than them, yeah. quite often, or more overweight, they're going to really be taken down the wrong path. Really, what I'm trying to address is the diseases of lifestyle that are the result of dissatisfaction with life, lack of enthusiasm for life, which then leads to self-loathing, pessimism, cynicism, mm -hmm. and then poor lifestyle choices and bad breathing, which is what then leads to getting sick, right? Mm -hmm. And right now, this has gone through the roof. So what I'm training people in to do is to have amazing tools, taking the wisdom of the past, combining it with modern science, to create preventative lifestyle transformational courses, programs that are fun, engaging, cool, sticky, addictive, you know, in a positive way that people want to do, look forward to doing. And that's my mission. And it's to train instructors who are the breath pharmacists to go out there and do the big changes. It really is beginning as simply as controlling the breath, bringing the breath under control. So the number one impact on health is the breath. Hi, this is Nikhil coming to you from Chicago with The Shelley Story. My wife Shelley and I wrote a book and are currently working on a movie about our journeys with mental health. As an offshoot of that, we've developed a podcast called The Shelley Story. We speak to people from a broad variety of backgrounds about diverse issues, specifically mental health and also how it's looked at through the lens of the South Asian diaspora. Our health journey has been pretty multifaceted. The cultural aspect is very important because being of South Asian origin, it's a very layered and nuanced story because there's a tradition of meditation and yoga and wellness that there's a lot of wisdom that we have at our fingertips is what I like to say. And so I'm always fascinated to cross paths with people who are getting back to the roots and looking for ways to tap into that knowledge base to really maximize their mind, body, and soul health. And today's guest is Neeraj Nayak. I had actually met Neeraj at this amazing event in Estonia last summer called Mind Valley University. There's a couple different hats he wears, but I would say the one that gained him the most notoriety would be the renegade pharmacist. So he is a certified UK pharmacist turned holistic wellness, brain training, and breath work expert. He's one of the world's most sought after spiritual ceremony facilitators and leads breath work workshops around the world. He runs a global breathwork community and trains hundreds of experts through his Soma Breath Framework, which is also taught at numerous wellness centers in the U.S., Europe, and Asia. So Neeraj, truly, truly, this is a blessing. You're one of the most fascinating people I've met in terms of your story, just in terms of the change that you're affecting in the world. And you're the real deal. You don't sugarcoat anything, sometimes to a little bit of controversy, <laughs> but it's always a pleasure to catch your updates on Instagram and you know, just the connections we've had. So really glad to have you on the show. Pleasure to be here, brother. So why don't you go ahead, if you can tell us a little bit more about your background, sort of 
what led you from your days as a DJ in the UK uh, rave scene to now being one of the most sought after breath gurus, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think I'm like you, right? Second generation. Yeah. Parents came over to England for you. It was America, right? So yep. they came over, they got kicked out of Idi Amin, by Idi Amin out of Uganda. It was a super hard struggle for them. At one point they were like living in like tiny one bedroom apartment with two other families. And that was like my first year of my life, you know, mm. back then, like the toilets were outside and, and it was communal, the showers and everything in the street. So it was a whole different world. And this is just like 45 years ago. All right. Yeah. And so it was a whole different world. Like we've got it so good right now, but my parents really struggled. Yeah. The UK was very different back then. I mean, now we have South Asian prime minister, it's a very different world. Yeah. So they really had to work hard. My dad, like, you know, studied really hard. My mum trained to be a doctor in India, but she had me and then she got so busy that she basically didn't manage to finish the exams. Mm. So she didn't become a fully qualified doctor, but she kind of sacrificed her career for us. But my dad went full power. I hardly ever saw him, you know, because he was mm -hmm. so busy, like working. So actually, I didn't really get to know, like, my dad very well. But my mum, I was definitely more bonded to. They were very academic. And, mm -hmm. you know, so because of security, right, and the fact they're so drilled into the consciousness of Indians struggling in a very white-centric population. Sure. To get noticed, to be, you know, to get actually a decent career. That was instilled into me. It was this extreme hard work ethic, but also you either become a pharmacist, a doctor, a lawyer, accountant, you know, something like that. Or a failure. <laughs> that's, the, yeah. that's the default, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like the thing was, my family, friend circle, and our relatives were very successful Indians who worked really hard, were doctors or pharmacists with big pharmacy chains. You know, Indians are generally pretty good at business. Sure. The Gujaratis, especially. And so some of them have built, you know, empires. So I was groomed to follow in one of my uncle's footsteps to become a pharmacist and, you know, take over a chain one, one day, eventually. Mm -hmm. It was, if I was into it, even a slight bit, right, my life would have been pretty sweet. Everything was laid out for me. Right. So my parents were blown away when I started to get into being a DJ and making music and not wanting to do anything like that. Yeah. What happened was like, so I still followed partly by, I was like, okay, I'll get the degree for security, you know, so I have something to fall back on. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, I went really deep into my passion. It's my dad's fault because he gave me my keyboard, first year. Right? <laughs> uh, it was a keyboard yeah. at 14 years old. And that's what got me like turned on to music and making music. And the electronic scene was like emerging back then. This is yep. like 994, 995. It was like picking up. So I got really hooked into this and started to link keyboards up and do little gigs, little raves at school for fun. Where did you go to school? Cardiff mm. in Wales, in England. So I was already a bit of a rebel. And, you know, my parents were like, you can do what you want as long as you get your degree. Sure. And then that turned into actually then a bigger rave. Like I had a 2000 people club 
Wow. Uh, we had it for three years. We ran this massive rave, and I was playing live to like thousand people, you know, on the main stage. And I was like, wow, this is just yeah. a dream come true. But with that scene comes a lot of pieing, a lot of hedonism, a lot of drugs, sure. alcohol, and crazy wild rock and roll lifestyle. So I lived it to the max. Like mm -hmm. my university days were like prolific, mm -hmm. like how hard I pied, you know. But then this dark music scene emerged and then everything went dark after 2002 in the music scene. Other drugs got involved that messed it all up. So one thing led to another. I had to go back to what I did fall back on. That I was the pharmacy degree. That's why I fell back on because I lost this event and I crashed and burned. And suddenly I'm in this cubicle mm -hmm. as a pharmacist dishing out pills. And it was like, what has happened to my life? It was like massive come down, the biggest come down ever. Right. You know what I mean, <laughs> you know, like I was just like, mad depressed for years for seven years i worked as a community pharmacist i had a major breakdown and my friend took me to a tony robbins event yeah kicking and screaming because i didn't <laughs> want to go he bought the ticket but that turned out to be the best thing i ever did like that mm. the event was incredible like massive did you do the walking on hot cold yeah, yeah all of that but yeah. there's this guy he's got like some long name joseph mckellar he did this one talk on health like all the biohacks back then. Right. So it was the first time I heard anyone talk about diet, nutrition, right. breathing, even meditation, water, spirulina, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. I was like, what? Doesn't yeah. like, never heard of this. You know, this green was in juice, the mid two. When was this? When was this? 2007. Okay. Yeah. So it was the first time I heard all of this. So I was like, well, here's an idea. I have a pharmacy full of sick patients. I'm going to put Tony Robbins to the test. I'll find out pretty quick if he's full of shit. So I came up with this really simple system because at first it's hard to give patients time, right? Like you only have a few minutes with a patient. You're so busy. So I'm forced myself to make time, even if I fell behind on other bits of the work, right. to spend at least five minutes over patient. And in that time, I basically came up with a system, a healthy shopping system. And I'd give an analogy to the patient. I'd be like, look, you're on all these drugs, right? Do you really want to be taking them? Most people would be like, no, of course not. I'm getting all these side effects. And uh, mm -hmm. so I'd be like, well, just imagine you are like a super efficient bio engine, right? Mm -hmm. And just like a normal engine, like have you ever put the wrong fuel into your engine, like a diesel instead of petrol? Right. Or petrol instead of diesel. And most people have done that once, right? So they're like, I'm like, so what does that feel like? What happens? And allow, you know, the car breaks down or you have to clean it out. So imagine that you have been putting the wrong fuel into a super efficient bio engine for this time simply because you didn't know what the right fuel was. Mm -hmm. And and this is what's happened to you. You're basically breaking down now, right? And that's why you're on these drugs. So imagine if you could put the right fuel into it. So literally, it was so simple because you only needed to make a couple of changes. Most people lived on processed foods in the UK, mm -hmm. right? Especially the grocery store that I used to work in. At. There was a massive grocery chain, like is owned by Walmart. So I basically started to get people just to eat normal food. Mm -hmm. So I called it the no factory diet, right? And I said, this is the fuel, real food. Eat what you love, but learn how to make it yourself. I'd also bring in some healthy green juice recipes. 
just so they can get like the nutrients and the hydration. Right. So just from that, I started to get testimonials. I used to get like the doctors ringing me up going, what are you doing? And at first I was like a bit worried, like I'm going to get in trouble. Right. But right. they were congratulating me. They were like, keep going. This is amazing. So that eventually led me to getting promoted at head office of one of the big, this same supermarket chain. Right. And, right. And they gave me the opportunity to create a healthy shopping list service on their website where patients could get the healthy shopping list delivered to them. They would have like a way to select food they want. And it would be like really the main problem I wanted to try and work with versus type 2 diabetes and mm. obesity. They're the mm -hmm. two main problems you can easily solve through just diet. And it's some of the most common problems in a pharmacy is people with type 2 diabetes and sure. obesity. So you solve those two issues you do a big impact in the world, right? So it could have been amazing, but then six months into this project, then they decided they don't want to do this anymore. Right. Boom, I just crashed. I couldn't believe it. Like, I was so disappointed. I was like, there is no God. There's right. no hope for you. Wow. Like, this is like insane. Like, why would they block this? Why would they not want this out, this information? It could help so many people. I have the proof, I have the evidence. Why are we not scaling this? And then the symptoms of ulcerative colitis kicked in at the same time. Right. So I started bleeding from my backside, which eventually turned into bleeding 40, 50 times a day. Wow. You know, I'm spending more time on the toilet. I got so sick. So you go to a consultant, you know, for a checkup. And this one time I remember, like, so this consultant I had, she looked yeah, yeah. really, really miserable with her life. Like, she did not want to do her job. Right. Because I asked her, I said, what about stress? You know, so I said, what about diet? I saw this in the pharmacy, people getting sick and better if you change their diet. Is there any diet that I could try? And I was so ill and tired. I was just right. because of all the people around me or the doctors so worried and family, they kind of told me that the only thing you can do for this incurable disease is keep taking the pills. Mm. Right. So she basically said to me, look, you've got two choices. You either have your colon removed. Or you can try it being like a guinea pig or something. Experiment drug, yeah. Yeah. So I was like, screw this. I already had my GP tell me that start wearing a nappy when yeah. you go out. Otherwise, you're not going to go out because you're going to be no quality of life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm 32 years old or something. So I'm like, you know, I'm never going to get laid again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's it. So it's like, not a good look. Yeah. yeah. Couldn't even work. I couldn't even yeah. get a job. So it was really, really the dark night of the soul. Mm. And so I went away and I was like, I'm not going to do any of those. I need to find another way. I remember going super inward at this moment and just praying for help. You know, mm -hmm. I was like, it was like I gave up on God and then suddenly turned to God in this moment. And they say God stands for gift of desperation. Mm -hmm. Right. And right. <laughs> Literally in the most desperate moments is usually when God appears. And this has happened to me in a form of actually a couple of things. Like firstly, my uncle telling me about this book, The Power of the Subconscious Mind by Dr. Joseph Murphy. Mm -hmm. It's one of the best books I've ever read on the power of the subconscious mind using mantras, yeah. affirmations and things. And what he did was he's he, like a Christian scientist or something, but he's also yeah. in the different forms. And he was in Ayurveda as well. Yeah, yeah. He's a pharmacist. So this was in the 1940s and he 
wrote this book and he brought both wisdoms together. So he was a Christian scientist and an Ayurvedic physician and a pharmacist. Mm-hmm. Very similar to me in a weird way, yeah. right? Yeah, Except yeah. For the Christian bit. Kindred and, spirit, yeah. Yeah. So he talks about this process of scientific prayers and how you can speak to your unconscious mind in a certain brainwave state, which is the prayer. And that's what churches do. You go into a church and those acoustics and right. the ambience with the candle lights puts you into brainwaves, an alpha brainwave state. So you can mm-hmm. speak to God, which is the God within, it's your unconscious mind, right? All sure. the Houses of worship are very similar like this. And I am very left-brain analytical. And mm-hmm. this was a little bit woo-woo, but I remember right. Tony Robbins talking about this sort of stuff. And actually, Tony Robbins also had mentioned in other things I've read about Dr. Joseph Murphy. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try this. So I went down that path and decided to come up with my own system of scientific prayers using certain affirmations. The affirmation I used was, I am whole, perfect, strong, loving, harmonious, and happy, said with absolute conviction, right, in an altered state, like an alpha brainwave state. So Mm. what I found was really soothing was going into the sauna, right, and the heat shock of the sauna, 80 to 90 degrees centigrade sauna, actually stimulates neurogenesis and actually stimulates the growth of new brain cells also increases blood flow dramatically to the brain. This is stuff I figured out later on. I didn't know this at the time. Mm-hmm. But also puts you into alpha brainwave state, right? In that low alpha brainwave meditative state. Right. And what I was doing was this breathing technique because someone else came to the rescue, Swami Amukananda, a yoga teacher who has a traditional yoga association, amazing lady, dear friend of the family. And she taught me the foundation of pranayama and Ayurveda and yoga traditional yoga and she said to me look you've got a gift here mm-hmm. you can reverse this you can be an amazing role model to other people so that spurred me on that gave me hope and she said look i can teach you the foundations of these things but you got to apply it and see how it goes and keep right. the faith and so what i did was i took the breathing techniques from pranayama of extended exhalations rhythmic breathing mm-hmm. chanting orm started doing them in the sauna Extended exhalations where you breathe out twice the length of time as you're breathing in a rhythm, and then just praying, praying with the conviction, using the affirmation to visualize yourself healthy and happy, right? So, boom, what happens? That then opens up a huge, like, rabbit hole, like portal, I'd say. Boom. At this time, you were still suffering with the ulcerative colitis then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm still bleeding. But Mm -hmm. what happened was I started to get this willpower to really go deep into these subjects because I got such relief from the simple breathing technique. I started to study pranayama like a crazy person. Right. And I went and studied Ayurveda and discovered that I was eating totally the wrong diet because the Ayurvedic system basically tells you that we have bio-individuality. There's no one-size-fits-all diet. Yeah. And uh, the doshas, right? The different yeah, like, personalized doshas. elements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because I turned to veganism because that mm-hmm. was the thing that was promoted all over the internet as being the healthy thing. And also the green juices that Tony Robbins was preventing. I was drinking loads of that. That was making me so much worse. Mm. When you have ulcerclitis, it's a vata-pitta disturbance. That's my dosha type is vata-pitta. Oh, okay, element. okay. There's a disturbance in that. So actually, if you eat raw vegan foods, it can make you very ungrounded, mm-hmm. waste away, 
and it can cause a lot of gas and bloating. So you need actually vata people need to get grounded, more warm, nourishing, whole foods, even meats, okay, and things like ghee to mm -hmm. nourish it up. And through the Ayurvedic system, also discovered something called colostrum, mm -hmm. which is the first milk of a cow. And actually, the reason cows right. are considered holy in India is because of the colostrum, the first milk. So what that means is when humans are born, right, the first milk you consume is this super potent, super rich pre-milk. It's not the same as normal milk, and it's got very little lactose content, if any. Yeah. And it actually is full of growth factors, immune factors, and it stimulates the growth of cells rapidly in the gut lining and that's what actually first improves your immune system right it carries on it passes on immunity right from mother to child but what it also does is it seals the gut lining so you can actually digest proper food right when you get older now bovine colostrum cow's colostrum has the same translation into humans it's what the cows need it's essential the calf needs it but the cow produces so much of it, like many times more, right, than what the calf needs. And most right. of that colostrum is thrown away. And if the cow isn't milked for that colostrum, it gets into pain. Mm. So okay. actually, the colostrum in India is still used to produce the holy sweets and the desserts mm. and okay. certain foods are made like out. barfi and stuff like that? Or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of supplements out there where... They freeze dye the colostrum for use in humans. And there's incredible research behind it. So, especially for things like osteoclitis, I was like, wow, I'm going to get this stuff. So I got it. And that combined with the change in my Ayurvedic lifestyle, going towards a more like low carb, paleo diet, bone broths, things like that, and these breathing techniques, and just a change in mindset and look at the world with optimism and hope, mm -hmm. faith. Boom. Within a few months, back to full health. I blew everyone's Amazing. mind away. Yeah. Music was a huge part, going back to being creative and studying music again and learning how to create brainwave entrainment music and like relaxing music that basically helps alter brainwaves in a positive way and also combining breathing with the music. So right. eventually, like I created a website to share all my information, the renegadepharmacist.com. And my first business I created, because I couldn't go back to my pharmacy job. Community pharmacy. I desperately needed a way out. I'd read the four-hour work week. Mm -hmm. and uh, Tim Ferriss, right? Yeah, yeah. Because that had the best business model ever. Right. And that opened my mind completely. So I studied like crazy to fix, to create my own first business. And actually, that turned into four-minute work week. Because I started <laughs> to sell, ironically, the colostrum that had healed me. The, okay. They started putting up content on YouTube, just promoting it for free. And the supplier got in touch and told me, you're doing such a good job of promoting my colostrum. You want to represent the brand. So I, that's what happened. Ended up getting like a four-minute work week. And I created <laughs> a music therapy business where I just created therapeutic music and licensed it out to people. So that led to, you know, uh, eventually Marissa Peer becoming a good friend. She started using mm -hmm. my music. Then I started traveling around the world and I met Wim Hof. Mm -hmm. and I made the soundtrack to the Wim Hof method. Yeah. Those are the bars, healing centers were using my music around the world. So it just went into a crazy... Kind of snowballed, it sounds like. Yeah. yeah. And then I moved to my dream location, Copan. We 
been living there on and off for the last seven years. Now I'm in Ibiza in Spain. So it's been like an amazing transformation, like unbelievable. Like if you were to imagine who I was, like when I was on the toilet, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's like nine day difference, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, are you working on a book or anything like that or some documentary? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm working on it. Because I really think that going back to what I was saying about the sort of the mission of this podcast is it's about, I think as South Asians, we are typically on this path and we're given these templates. Like you were told that you could basically write your ticket if you followed the straight and narrow path with going into pharmacy. And then, you know, what ends up happening is people go down these paths and they develop a lot of anxiety. They neglect their own health. They're not interested in what they're doing. They're nowhere near the state of flow that's really required in order to achieve that fulfillment. And so, I mean, that's really what the purpose of this podcast is, is to hear those stories and give people who are in this bad programming and wedded to these templates that have been foisted on them. And so I think that's why I think your story is just so incredible, you know, to go from being like kind of in this cookie cutter profession to leading these really transformative experiences all over the world. So uh, and also you know, I had to prove all of the Indian doctors and pharmacists, so, you know, bless them. Yeah. They're amazing people. Yeah. I had to prove them wrong as well. So yeah. my yeah. mom always said to me, you know, if you study really hard, you can grow up and go to Cambridge university. Right. right. And ironically, they're studying us now. So yeah, you know, having that like stamp of approval on us as, and our techniques, the center of techniques, to an Indian community is like mm-hmm. proper epic. So yeah, that, that's how you win. That's over. the real win for sure. No, my hat's off to you on that. I mean, I think I want to go a little bit further into one of the terms that you use, because I really think the concept of one size fits all is dangerous, yeah. regardless of what you're talking about. Right. And so yeah. healthcare for sure. I mean, it is not a one size fits all model. It is not a, as they say, pill for an ill, you know, that's yeah. same with us. I mean, with our stem cell business, is that we're trying to really get healing on an end-to-end basis, not just like I have high blood pressure. Well, let me take this medication and then I'm going yeah. to, you know, develop ulcers or I'm, you know what I mean? So it's not this whack-a-mole type thing. What I found really interesting with your approach is you're conceptualizing Soma Breath as it's like the inner pharmacy. And I don't remember which podcast it was on, but you were talking about how, you know, It's just like if you go into a pharmacy, you wouldn't take Advil for an ulcer or you wouldn't take Parkinson's medication for, you know, a headache type type of thing, right? There's got to be more targeted. So tell me a little bit more about how that applies the inner pharmacy model to breath work. Maybe if you can touch on a couple different use cases in terms of like how breath work, specific types of breath work, like how that can help certain conditions. Yeah, so actually the quote you're talking about is Dr. B.M. Hegde, who's one of the top doctors in India, is one of like mm-hmm. the highest awards that you can get. He's a super renegade doctor, like he's like kindred spirits, right? But mm-hmm. he says there's a pill for every ill, mm-hmm. but there's also an ill following every pill, right? right. These days as drug companies have come up with pills for almost everything, right? And mm-hmm. there's like how many like new psychiatric drugs out there you know coming out all the time and yeah. they're manufacturing symptoms right to prescribe drugs to what i find funny is these drug commercials a lot of times like the listing of the side effects are usually longer than 
the actual ad, you know, and it's always read in this like auction frenetic style pace. But yeah, go ahead. You're saying. Yeah. Brought to you by Pfizer. I mean, <laughs> right. It's insane. I cannot believe America, like how it's the Truman show. The whole yeah. country is the Truman show. Yeah. It's phenomenal. Yeah. So basically the problem with drugs is firstly, they're not intelligent. Mm -hmm. So all drugs can do is correct or meddle with chemical changes in the body, right? Mm -hmm. Through binding to receptors or blocking receptors or changing enzyme pathways, things like that. So with that, what happens is it falls under the massive problem of reductionist science. Mm -hmm. Reductionist science basically tries to say that human beings are linear. We follow like linear graphs, which is right. so wrong because humans are so complicated we're, we're irrational, not rational, right? Mm -hmm. So there is no linear pattern for human beings. And this is the big problem. We're more all over the place. And there's so many different factors that influence sure. our chemistry in the body and our mind. So I'll give you an example is blood pressure, right? So mm -hmm. what do you think was Gandhi's blood pressure? Gandhi's blood pressure? I would, I would imagine it was pretty good. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Everyone assumes that, but it was actually 200 over 100 his whole life. Oh, really? Right? Wow. And the doctors were so scared of this. Yeah. Obviously trying to give him drugs, right? And he always refused. Interesting. And guess what he died of? Well, he was shot, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, and he was 80 odd years old. And when they did a post-mortem of his body, mm -hmm. he was completely fine, right? He had a healthy body. Yeah. Despite that one marker being askew, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but here's the thing. What's normal for someone may not be normal for you, mm. right? So basically, if you were to take everybody's blood pressure in a country and plot it, it's more like a bell-shaped curve like this, okay? Yeah. So around the middle falls around 120 over 80. The thing is, some people are gonna be 25% on this side, low, and the other side is gonna be 25% high, mm -hmm. and that's their normal. If you go for a doctor's checkup, they're going to say, oh, you don't have the normal blood pressure. And they'll give you a pill to try and correct you and bring you into the normal. Right. Now, here's the problem. If that's not your normal 120 over 80, then you are actually causing problems. And you're going to get these false positive readings every time you do blood pressure checks. And you're going to be correcting people unnecessarily and actually causing harm. And that's why you get side effects. So it's right? like they're trying to fix one problem trying to get one number to sort of fall in line but by doing so you're saying that can cause disturbances in other parts of of the body or yeah, but also the high blood pressure may be normal to them oh, their I see. Body okay. functions sure healthy and efficiently at that blood pressure right so if you start making them have low blood pressure for example then it could mess up everything else in the body right because that's not normal so this is why so many side effects are being created by drugs but also so much disease is manufactured by health checkups. You think about it, there's only so many people who are really sick at any given time, planet, until you go for a health checkup. Right. The health checkup, oh, you might have a, you know, we found a few cancer cells. There's nothing to worry about yet, mm -hmm. but there's a chance it may turn into so-and-so. And if they say this to you and you're in the doctor's office, like even in the nicest way they could tell you this is in your head. Mm -hmm. Then it becomes self-fulfilling prophecy. 
when we're manufacturing cancer every day, everyone has cancer cells almost on a daily basis. If you right. check up everybody every day, you'll find there's some cancer cells because it's just normal part of the growth process, right? Mm-hmm. However, our body is very good at getting rid of what it doesn't need, right? So our body's natural innate system gets rid of it. So as soon as you go in for health checkups these days, you've got this wrong with you, you've got this wrong with you, we've got to do this. Oh, it's a good, better chance that we, you know, we take this out to prevent this in the future. And when you start meddling with people in this way, unfortunately, this is when you start getting adverse drug reactions, adverse reactions, which is actually the number three killer in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it exactly. also manufactures a lot of money because yeah. of all the treatments that they can now offer. Mm-hmm. Right? And you know, there's a funny stat. In India, for example, the poor outlive the rich. Is that right? Okay, why I wasn't that, aware of that. Yeah, many places, the poor out, outlive have more longevity than rich. Why is it? They have a simple diet that they've always been eating forever. We don't need all this choice processed of food, right? stuff, processed yeah. foods. Is that unique to India or is that? No, no, I, no, I haven't heard that. Where actually, if they live like traditionally, like they used to, yeah. and they haven't gone fully westernized in the diet and lifestyle, actually the older generation are outliving the youth, like in places like Japan, Okinawa, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So basically the reason why is because they're not going for health checkups. They can't afford private health care yeah look a lot of doctors do amazing things right they sure. work miracles they save lives the emergency room doctors are phenomenal how they sacrifice their life their health in order to save somebody's life phenomenal but there's a lot of doctors unfortunately who have lost their will their passion for what they, they do jaded yeah. they don't study anymore you know they stop studying and keeping up to date with latest breakthroughs and these are the people who people are going to for advice on actually being healthy, which means not getting chronically sick, preventing disease, mm-hmm. or you know, reversing chronic illness like diabetes and heart disease and all this, which are all diseases of lifestyle. And if they go into a doctor who's unhealthier than them, yeah. quite often, or more overweight, more depressed, and they're going to them for advice, they're gonna really be taken down the wrong path. This is the yeah. problem. Is really what I'm trying to address is the disease of lifestyle that are the result of dissatisfaction with life, lack of enthusiasm for life, which then leads to self-loathing, like pessimism, cynicism, mm-hmm. and then poor lifestyle choices, which there's what then, and bad breathing, which is what then leads to getting sick, right? Mm-hmm. And right now, the way we are in the world, this has gone through the roof. Sure. So what I'm training people in to do is to have amazing tools, taking the wisdom of the past, combining it with modern science, sure. to create preventative lifestyle transformational courses, programs that are fun, engaging, cool, sticky, addictive, you know, in a positive way. Right. That people want to do, look forward to doing. And that's my mission. And it's to train instructors who are the breath pharmacists to go out there and do the big changes. And it's, it really is beginning as simply as controlling the breath, bringing the breath under control. It's the number one impact mm-hmm. on health is the breath. Yeah. And, and I think the other element of that, beyond the science, beyond the music, which are all amazing, 
I think it's just the importance of community. You know, there's that Sanskrit term uh, Sangha, right? This network of people that you share these experiences with. Because what I always say is there's content and then there's context. And then when you add community, that really, you know, brings those two together. These learnings, these experiences become so much richer. You can sit there and read a book all day long, but if you're sitting there in a circle doing kumbhaka, these exercises, uh, rishaka, pranayam, all these things, that's going to be infinitely more valuable than any, you know, any book you can read, or even if you're doing it on your own. So I'd love to hear more about the role that community has played in your journey, because it sounds like you went through some pretty dark times where you kind of went on the dark night of the soul and had to make some hard choices. Yes. Yeah. Come unity. That's mm-hmm. what we need. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> More unity in the world, right? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so in my situation, coming from an Indian family, we both know how important the social, cultural environment is for Indians, right? Absolutely. So, Very collectivist. It's ingrained yeah. into us as a collective spirit, right? Mm-hmm. And my mum, for example, was an amazing role model to me in terms of how social she is, how generous she is, how caring she is, how much she mm-hmm. does for other people. I also had a GP, a doctor, who's a dear friend of our family who he knew everyone in the community. Everyone knew it. You know, he was so kind mm-hmm. and always listened to people's problems. And that's part of the, the healing, actually, is a doctor who just listens. Right. Sure. So I had all these like, role models in our community who were like the Indian community, Gujarat Samaj, it's all about doing stuff together, right? As right. a tribe, which is amazing. I loved it. What unfortunately happened to me was when I got sick, was I was bashing heads with this community because there's also dogma when it comes to certain tribes, right? Mm. That can form. And you know, the problem with religion is is the dogma. And the problem with mainstream education as well is the dogma. University right. can create a lot of dogmatic indoctrination, indoctrination yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? And people are rigid with their beliefs. And it's because of dogmatic belief systems that people hold on to mm-hmm. because of community and so Templates, there is a yeah. mm-hmm. it's like i'd call it like a mental or philosophical template that you don't bother updating yeah, yeah. exactly yeah like an operating system mm-hmm. so what happened was i actually had to move away from home my friend the guy who bought me the tony robbins ticket he was also getting disillusioned and we both made music together he's an amazing guitarist a doctor mm-hmm. so I said to him, look, we got one chance here. Right? I can't work. All I can really strive the energy for is like making music, right? Mm. So, and being creative. So he basically invited me to go and stay with him. And what happened was at that time, in order to learn more and research more about the music and this kind of mystical music we were making, right? Mm-hmm. Was to start like learning about third eye activation and third eye grit, uh, all these kind of yogic stuff the buddhist meditations Mm -hmm. i needed to find other people who thought like me so facebook is evolving at that time and through that i started to connect with new communities of people youtube i started to put my music up on youtube and i started to get fans and through that i started to find people who thought like me and i was like whoa that in itself was so healing right there's a friend of mine Dan Lustig, you might know him as well from mm-hmm. the Valley community. He's an amazing Israeli therapist who works a lot with autoimmune. Sure. He says, which is what I had, he says, autoimmunes are usually triggered by ood in moments. 
unexpected, the U stands for unexpected, so it's U-D-I-N, mm -hmm. unexpected, so something that just came suddenly, right, a shock, dramatic, so very high emotion associated right. with it, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. a lot of drama. Like for me, it was worked so hard to create this project, suddenly company doesn't want to do it, get like a kick in the gut. Yeah. And then I is isolating, so it's only you. So imagine it was just me and the entire corporation who sure. suffered this, and no one else understood my problem, right? So it's very isolating. And then no strategy. The end is no strategy. There's no way to get out of it. The no strategy part, a lot of it's down to the people around you. Because if they can't help you and you're on your own, what are you going to do, right? And there's no mm. tools out there. Available. So I had a typical Udin moment that triggered this, which is the case for a lot of people actually that bought to me if you go back. So he said that these Udin moments can actually trigger yeah. autoimmune disorders. Yeah. yeah. I learned about this like more recently, but I realized that this is yeah. what happened to me. Hmm. And I think a lot of people who autoimmune have similar issues. So one of the things that can cause isolation and no strategies is when you're in these very rigid dogmatic communities where people want you to be a certain way and you want to be another way, right? right? So the right types of communities can help people thrive where they don't have to be so scared about being wrong, mm. where they can be themselves. Yep. This has been my mission with Summer Breath. We are creating a community that's based on true understanding that we're all individual, we're all different, we're all unique, we all have the same beliefs. We don't censor people, we don't stop people from saying what they want. Right. And we're all here to support each other's growth. This is what I love about Mind Valley as well. Same mm -hmm. kind of community, right? The AFS community. This. Yeah. So I started to find people like this, more aligned to what I thought. And this helped me to unravel and heal from this feeling of isolation. Mm -hmm. Humans are social people. Sure. So that in itself can be very cathartic. Therapeutic, and yeah. Just when you find the others, when you find people just like you, right? That led to getting to know more people, entering into mastermind groups, discovering Copangan, and suddenly being around completely whole island of people like me. Yeah, you know. And now we've created massive community. We've got you know two thousand instructors and hundreds wow. of thousands of other. When was Soma? The company is called Soma Breath, right? Yeah. When was that launched? Then that was two years ago now. Okay, and you've yeah. got two thousand instructors. Yeah, and it's or, growing. Wow, pretty fast. It's incredible. The way I describe your experience is it's like the most spiritually enlightened rave you'll ever go to. You know, it's like, it's so much fun where it's like there's dancing, but it's not like when you go to a bar and you're just tossing back a bunch of beers and getting wasted and losing your clarity, you're entering a higher state of consciousness through music, through breath, through movement. I'd love if you could tell us more about what these workshops are like to somebody who's not familiar with yes. Soma Breath. Yeah, no, I just want to also add, actually, since I've got more successful with what we're doing and got the mm -hmm. science and the evidence and created so many more success stories, the Indian community that I was like rebelling against have you, really yeah. bought to this. That's because great. They, it's all in their culture. Pranayama, yoga, mm -hmm. part of the culture. I've just presented it in a scientific way so that it's not religious anymore. And actually, a lot of the Indian community in America and England, for example, are actually become more westernized than the indians back in india do you know what i mean they mm -hmm. become more white than the white people <laughs> the, 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 the yeah. english people are turning to yoga and traditional stuff 
So well, one thing I do want to say, Neeraj, is just that folks like yourself, it really warms my heart to see that there's more South Asians taking back. I don't mean this in a confrontational way, but I just mean that there's so much of this wisdom that's just been put on the shelf because I think, especially as members of the diaspora and we're going to settle in these new communities, we're trying to fit in, right? So we don't want to look to other. And so a lot yeah. of times we'll change our names or we'll change our accents or we'll do all these things just to, pardon the pun, but to whitewash ourselves, right? And so I love the fact that people like you are bringing this culture back into the norm and doing it with the cultural imprimatur, the credibility stamp of actually being South Asian. I do want to say that to you. I really appreciate Yeah, no, it's amazing. So yeah, there's a big shift happening. And what this means is the now the unification of community, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. the people who would never have ever got into this stuff are finally waking up because of what right. has happened. We're going to get to a point where there's such a wake up happening right now that there's going to be a much more cross-pollination of all the communities that have been, you know, the ones that have been really into holistic stuff to the more mainstream medical people, Indian communities, they're all going to blend together and unite. Yep. Mm-hmm. So the question you asked was... Originally, I'd asked about community and then, yeah, I was also interested more about, in a nutshell, just kind of like, how would you describe your... Soma Breath workshops to somebody who's, you know. Yeah, so the experiences itself. What I loved about the raves I used to run was Mm -hmm. the ecstatic bliss and love and celebration and connection that people would have. But what I didn't love about it was that there's always inevitably some kind of come down. Yeah. It was a toxic element to it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. when I discovered ecstatic dance, I was like, wow, this is like, fixes everything because firstly there's no one genre so you can have a whole journey in music mm-hmm. with different styles right so it doesn't get so boring and secondly there was all these people when i went to an excited dance party had massive smiling faces were sure. dancing as hard as or harder than when everyone was off their heads like back in you know 1999 right it was like the love was there so i was like well i want to do this now Mm-hmm. So I started to then combine the breathing with this ecstatic dance stuff. So I produce all the dance music and have bring in live musicians and all this to make it even more fun and turn that into a ceremony. Like, so that to me was one of the best community builders that we had was when we started to run our little um, ecstatic dance events and then mm-hmm. our own festival in Copangan. It brought everybody together. Every Sunday there was like a dance church in a massive pyramid, 250 people coming in, celebrating life together. It was like going to church, right? Mm-hmm. It was the new church. And so I was like, we have to scale this. We have to spread this around. So yeah, one of my experiences is this dance movement, breath experience, right? You know, there's another thing Indians would do, right? Was Garba. Remember yeah. Garba? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So I'm more so of a Bhangra guy because my wife is Punjabi, oh, but yeah, yes, no, so I Bhangra, definitely... It's all people dancing together, right? It's a community thing. And I used to look at that when I was a kid and think, oh, this is so sweet. I love this and there's so much love. And yeah, so I'm trying to bring that back in a cool way that it crosses over to people who wouldn't normally be into this. So that's one of the experiences. The other experience is really a, a transformative, ecstatic 
experience, but through the breath and mm -hmm. also very healing and therapeutic. So that's our breathwork journeys. Yeah. Uh, you've, you've experienced both things. And yeah. These are the things we, and we also do special yoga practices and other kind of tantric yoga techniques. What's a typical Soma breath client or participant? What, what is a typical Soma breath client look like? I mean, in terms of their profile, like, are they coming to you for specific where it's like they're experiencing like, you know, chronic disease or maybe it's anxiety or is it a combination? Maybe you can talk in general, kind of what is the typical profile? And then also maybe if there's some specific success stories that really have given you a sense of validation about what you've been doing. You know, I get more and more surprised at mm -hmm. the range of the types of people who are coming. Um, I can imagine. So in the beginning, when I was in Thailand, it was preaching to the converted, right? It was all sure. yoga teachers, Reiki masters, you know, Tantra teachers and digital nomads and mm -hmm. into wellness and all that. Now, like all walks of life are coming and discovering what we do. Like there's a friend of mine called Wim Hof. Mm -hmm. Super famous guy. I produce all the music to the Wim Hof method. You go to his app. You can yeah. Check it out. Um, I listen to Lotus Eight. That's my running. Yeah, yeah. That's one of my favorites. Uh, this yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so he opened the doors. Like full bow down respect to Wim Hof, mm -hmm. bringing these powerful techniques to the mainstream in such an amazing way, and that that's converted so many people to just their breathing mm -hmm. and taking care of their breath right and then there's been more and more breath schools coming so that they're starting to push this stuff out and then covid happened which made people all care about their respiratory health yeah so many things have just happened in the last three years to really push this into more of a mainstream environment so it ranges you know we have people who just very normal like construction workers you know who mm -hmm. just you never imagine would be into this stuff but suddenly get into right. it and come to our retreats we have you know medical doctors we have dentists we have lawyers we have corporate ceos we have right you know tech startups you know we have all sorts of it's such a cross-section i mean if you say like the most typical like really had to put into an average yeah it's usually women who get into it you know like 35 and above and somebody who's longing for you know, something more, spiritual meaning, purpose mm -hmm. there. And maybe that they are on their way to healing something, usually, you know, yeah. some health issue, health challenge. We have a lot of instructors as well who are already certified in other techniques who come to us as well, you know, like mm -hmm. other coaches, therapists, hypnotherapists, massage, mm -hmm. rape. Yep. Yeah. We want to bring some of ref to their repertoire. Yeah. And that community, I guess, to, to kind of dovetail on that is, to bring it back to what we were talking about earlier is, you know, you and I had met at Mind Valley and at Mind Valley University. I wanted to understand a little bit more because you mentioned AFEST and maybe you can talk a little bit about that, but how did you get introduced to Mind Valley and sort of what has that meant for in terms of your journey with Soma Breath? Yeah, I got introduced to Mind Valley through Marissa Peer. So okay. she's a, okay. John Davy, her husband, and, and Marissa invited me. So I went to AFEST mm -hmm. and totally changed my life. It's where I started to test out the breathing technique. I actually broke my foot on the first day. Oh, <laughs> wow. Okay. In a wheelchair. And like, I was like really embarrassed. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have to go home. And wasted all this money. So what happened was I actually 
was living very comfortable way of life in Kopangan, mm-hmm. living the dream, four hour, four minute work week. But I was just earning a pharmacy salary every month, basically, you know, the equivalent of that. For four very minutes of work, that's quite an hourly wage. It was, there. It was an incredible lifestyle. <laughs> you were yeah. there, you'd be like, oh my God, how did you? It's like Nirvana, right? It's like, right. like you didn't need to go anywhere else. John Davy calls me up and he goes, we just went to this A-Fest event. I highly recommend you go to it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, so tell me more about it. And they told me the price. I'm like, almost my heart fell out of my mouth. I was like, are you serious? Right. And he goes, look, for God's sake, invest in yourself for once. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. If he tells me that with that much mm-hmm. you know, sincerity. Conviction, yeah. Right. And, you know, so I actually put quite a lot of money down, like cost of the flights, hotel, ticket, all of that adds up. And I was like, shit, this is going to hurt, you know? <laughs> right? so, yeah. So I ended up going and then you break your foot on the first day. And you're that gonna sucks. Have to go like, what <laughs> yeah. the hell have I just done? Yeah. This is absolutely ridiculous. So I remember calling Marissa in the morning. I was like, <laughs> you won't believe what's happened. You know, I broke my foot. I'm going to have to go home. She goes, don't be silly, darling. You're not going home. You're going to have all these amazing goddesses looking after you. <laughs> so you better stay. I was like, okay. <laughs> if she <Yeah>. says that. <laughs> so boom, that's exactly what happened. I made some amazing friends, some of them remarkable goddesses. <laughs> it looked after me. And yeah. what happened was I started to test out the breathing techniques, the practice, the, this ritual experience that I created with music and certain breathing techniques. Mm-hmm. And it was so popular, such a big hit at this uh, A-Fest that it went from like a five people in a room to 60 people in the basement of a hotel with wow. NASA scientists measuring people's brainwaves, having these huge awakenings. They, they were like, we've never seen gamma frequencies being created like this in the brain. Wow. So that got the attention of the whole Mind Valley community. Mm-hmm. And I kept going back to Mind Valley events. I went to Barcelona after that and so on. And then I started to like get more and more in with the whole mind valley they wanted to, do, to create a course with me so we created our mm-hmm. first course with them and then that's now led into a quest which i've launched earlier this year yep which is doing pretty good it's been truly transformative i mean I, and i'm as cynical as they come i don't fall into all this woo woo stuff and but you know i'm saying like if they can make a believer out of me then i think vision and the team are definitely definitely mm-hmm. doing something right and it's just sometimes it can be a little bit overwhelming just because it's like, you know, what you said about going down the rabbit hole, you can really just kind of get lost in there. So, but you know, yeah, your quest has been incredible. I love the limitless dose and then the gratitude. It's really incredible. Nice. So, yeah. Is that, um, have you been to the layer tracks? There's some really potent tracks there on. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, the one that I really like is the limitless. Okay. But I wanted to tell you, Neeraj, that, you know, going back to what you were saying about how this work, the work you're doing, and just this movement is getting traction and it's becoming more mainstream. I think I mentioned to you that we actually did a presentation to my eight-year-old son's third grade class about mindfulness and meditation because he had come home and he was telling me about this app, Headspace, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, They're using that in the classroom. And what was really cool was Shelly and I went in, we did a presentation where we simulated a conflict where I was bouncing a basketball she comes in and grabs it and I start freaking out like a typical eight-year-old would do. And then I sort of put it back to the kids. I said, has this happened to you? 
you know, how do you deal with it? And then we redid it where I did a box breathing thing afterwards, mm. you know, where like she grabs the ball and I sit down and I put my hand on my belly and my, and my chest and, and I start doing the breaths. So I explained the whole concept of box breathing. And then what we did was we did a simulation where we played one of your, cause you have on your YouTube channel, you have a box breathing exercise. So we played it for them. And mm. then afterwards it was talk about how they felt afterwards. They just felt relaxed. They felt clear. And so that just makes me really happy because I think if we start demystifying this stuff, if we start showing it to kids when their minds are more fertile, when they're very receptive, I think it's going to have a ripple effect, you know, and I think the energy and the collective consciousness, the impact that it's going to have is going to be epic. I mean, it's going to have economic impacts. It's going to have impacts on the environment. It's going to have impacts on everything you can imagine. So, you know, anybody who questions it, anybody who questions, you know, like, oh, this is all woo -woo stuff. I think you had actually sent me this study, but there was that PubMed study about the benefit of Rechaka, is it? Yeah, on the health, you know, so I think- This was the first study that I came across when I was like trying to heal myself, going into all the techniques. And- it was really in 2011 and the doctor who's an amazing doctor he's mm-hmm. also a yogi very very fit at his age but he has a clinic in haridwar in foothills of himalayas and he basically helps people heal themselves through these traditional yoga techniques but mm-hmm. real, as i said the real yoga not the mainstream military yoga industrial complex or whatever it is. Contorting you know? yourself into a pretzel with the yoga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah not really that. Good. Which has actually <laughs> gone off the wisdom of the past. Because yeah. traditional yoga is actually more of a contraction exercise, static contraction, where you hold each pose for as long as you can, maximum effort, controlling the breath, to create a state of intermittent hypoxia in the local area where you're reducing the blood flow to. Because the static contraction reduces blood flow. So if you contract a muscle like that, yeah, right, and hold it, it forces the muscle to use that up. And then it creates a brief period of low oxygen for a moment. Right. This is what creates the adaptive change and makes the muscle stronger, healthier, um, with more stamina, right? So mm-hmm. what's actually activated in that moment are endogenous stem cells, mm-hmm. which actually do all of the repair and rejuvenation and strengthening. And this is also what happens during high intensity interval training, where you do very intense exercise. It's mm-hmm. called anaerobic exercise, right? In the absence of oxygen, right? And that's what wakes up endogenous stem cells and you know, produces massive amounts of nitric oxide, and then creates the strengthening. So there's a breathing technique in pranayama called kumbhaka, and mm-hmm. the most revered way of doing it, which the doctor translated, is nishesha rechaka. Mm-hmm. And this technique basically means hold your breath till you no longer possibly can, right? So your maximum effort, right? right? Okay. So after full exhale, right? So the way to do that is to get to the maximum breath hold you can possibly can is if you do bus streaker first, where you're mm-hmm. breathing CO2 out. Because CO2 is what tells your brain you need to breathe again, right? So when you get rid of the CO2, you actually then are able to hold your breath much longer than you need to. And when you get to like a 90 second breath hold time, 
your oxygen levels, if you use a pulse oximeter here, like I got one mm -hmm. here, will start to drop. Oxygen will drop, 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 drop. And when it goes below 90%, you start getting into the hypoxic range. And usually you'll get it down to like 60, 50. Some people can go down to 30s percentage SpO2, which mm -hmm. a medical doctor would freak out if they saw somebody's <laughs> But you're just doing it for a brief period. Right. And what this does is it wakes up very small embryo-like stem cells and also bone marrow stem cells, right? Mesenchymal stem cells. Right. Comes up circulation and they have this innate ability to turn into any other cell in the body. Mm -hmm. And stem cells hate oxygen. oxygen. They love right. hypoxia. They love extreme temperatures. Like what can wake up stem cells is intense heat. That's why saunas activate stem cells and extreme cold that's why ice baths work and breath holds because with breath retention you create systemic hypoxia for a brief period stem cells come out and it takes about two minutes for these stem cells to move around the body right so in two two minutes breath hold time if you can get to that point which is a bit of practice it's quite easy to do you actually give enough time for stem cells to proliferate and do what they need to do it also activates a whole cascade of different effects so stem cells is one thing that is done through the pathway of nitric oxide being activated in massive amounts right also what you get is and this hypoxia is because the co2 levels start to rise a lot and nitric oxide is dilator you get massive dilation to the brain mm -hmm. and the heart and you get these coronary collaterals forming natural heart bypasses which creates strengthening on your heart and forms capillaries around blocked arteries if you have any right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then you get increased blood flow to the brain you get strengthening and conditioning of the brain improved blood flow and you yep. get basically better vascularization capillaries and blood flow all around your body so if somebody suffers from Raynaud symptom or diabetic issues where the blood flows diminish to the regions extremities you can actually improve with this technique mm -hmm. erectile dysfunction how does viagra work right it works through Sildenafil. Does yeah. that have the nitric oxide of? Stimulates nitric oxide. Right. Erectile dysfunction can be fixed by this. So many things can be solved through this one breathing technique. It's incredible. And what it also trains you to do is to become really efficient using oxygen. Mm -hmm. So all of these effects I'm talking about makes you more efficient using oxygen. So you need less oxygen to breathe, right? To create energy. So the mitochondria get optimized. If you think the mitochondria is like little small combustion engines, yeah, constantly burning oxygen. The powerhouse of the body, yeah, the powerhouse of the cell, yeah. Yeah, that inner fire can cause cellular damage, right? And the cellular damage can lead to mutations, cancer, inflammation, mm -hmm. and all these things. They're an effect of poor oxygen efficiency. So what we do is we finely tune your physiology to such an extent you go from being one of these banged out Ford cars that run Pinto. on <laughs> yeah. efficient gas to finely tuned Teslas who hardly make any noise. Right. And then what happens to the default state of a person is that their breath becomes calm, silent, subtle, smooth, right? Mm -hmm. Diaphragmatic, rhythmic. And it, when you see a person who's really well optimized with their breathing, they hardly look like they're breathing at all. Mm -hmm. So Lao Tzu says the perfect human breathes, but they don't breathe at all. Right. And that's the aim of what we do with sound breath is to bring somebody's default state to that. So when they're not doing any techniques, 
their natural resting state, they hardly look like they breathe. It's also mm -hmm. a reflection of a calm mind, calm, content mind. People's breathing gets much faster when their mind's very erratic, they're thinking a lot, and they're mulling about past events or worrying about the future. Sure. Anger, full of anger or holding on to emotions. Right. Or overly excited. It's good to be enthusiastic for life, but you don't want to be like a maniac, right? Yeah. Right. You want right. to have focused channel thoughts so you can be really efficient and productive. So optimizing the breath has a side effect of improving how you think as well. Mm -hmm. We've talked about a lot of metabolic diseases, autoimmune diseases. Part of our podcast is talking about these modalities for mental illnesses. People who come to your workshops, have you seen positive effects with like certain mental illnesses, like maybe bipolar oh. disorder or depression oh. or? A lot with anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Only if they do the work, like it's right. not a magic bullet. You're not going to suddenly just with a couple of breathing techniques fix everything no there's a, right. it's a holistic process we take through people through a real holistic journey for self-discovery know thyself mm -hmm. through the ayurvedic system learn who you are and then you can customize the program for you customization is the secret source of sonograph that's what we do yeah. better than anybody else one size fits all is one size fits none in my mind i think for sure. yeah and a lot of other unfortunately there's a mistake of a lot of the other uh, programs it's, yeah it's so a type of person. Yeah. yeah. So this has been phenomenal, Neeraj. I really appreciate it. Is there anything else you want to say, just touch on before we kind of wrap things up? You know, community is not always a good thing either because of the dogmatic problem, right? Sure. And I have this one saying, though. I, it's not mine. And I got another one from my, I'd love to meet him one day, but the person I respect a lot is BM Hekde. For his mm -hmm. balls, tenacity, and wealth of knowledge. What, what is the name? BM Hegday. Heg oh, BM Hegday. Heg yeah. He's yeah. an Ayurvedic. No, he's uh, a medical doctor. He's a cardiologist. Right. But he's pretty he's, well versed. He's like the every, expert on Ayurveda, too, right? He knows everything about everything. Mm -hmm, he's like mm -hmm. super intelligent. Yeah. But he says this one line I is the first letter of illness. Mm. B, W, E is the first two letters of wellness. So become we focused. Understand that we're a, a collective mm -hmm. and, you know, the magic rule of success, right? And this is why Indians can be very successful wherever they go, is they do unto others in their community and they help each other, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. As they expect to be done to themselves. So they constantly helping each other to succeed. Right. And that's keeping in the tribe actually does that. Now, what the problem with community is, right, is this dogmatic issue when they get so big so what's happening now the big shift that's happening in the world now and i'm going to see it happening more is tribes forming there's a difference between tribe and community mm -hmm. tribes are like communities within communities and the problem with tribes okay as well it can be a good thing is that if you look back in the olden days right the tribal ancestors they would always be warring with other tribes. Mm, mm -hmm. There was more conflict. Factionalism, yeah. Mm -hmm. So we can figure out a way for tribes to exist and coexist because not everyone can, you can't fit everyone into one box. So tribes are inevitable, right. it's gonna happen. But make it so each tribe can get on with each other, and communicate. I think blockchain and decentralization is the key to this then the world can thrive and people can belong to whoever they want to be. Mm. And they can choose which tribe they want to belong to and they can switch. 
without each tribe fighting and warring with each other. That's beautiful. Yeah, I love that. It's all about the tribe. I mean, I think and I love that I in illness and we in wellness because we can't all do this on our own and we, we really have to tap into that collective consciousness and energy and spirit. So Neeraj, what's on the horizon for you? I mean, for 2023. So some of the things we're working on right now is the app. Mm-hmm. So um, app we're putting that together is going to be super good is growing the instructor network, having more trainers, more retreats happening. And then our big breath fest is what I'm working on. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Everyone together. And if people want to find out more about you, what is the best place they can go to? Yeah. So my Instagram, Neeraj Naik Official, Soma Breath Instagram, my YouTube channel, Soma Breath, and go to our website, somabreath.com, sign up. You can also find my website, neurogenate.com, but somabreath.com, you can get free stuff, download some techniques to try out, limitless, as you said. We've got a version there and get involved and maybe you want to become an instructor one day. would love to have you part of the tribe. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Neeraj. And for anyone who's listening, to find out more about us, you can go to theshellystory.com. That is the podcast. For the blog, we've got ShellySue.com. And we are also on Instagram and Twitter at The Shelly Story. So Neeraj, thanks so much again. This was amazing to talk to you again. And look forward to talking to you again soon. Peace. Goodbye. Peace.